are listening to Killer, a true crime podcast, and this is case number two, the murder of Molly Tibbetts. Lock your doors, bolt your windows, and turn off the lights. We're about to begin. Molly Tibbetts. 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 More than two weeks after she disappeared during a jog, Molly Tibbetts' family begging for help. Molly Tibbetts vanished more than two weeks ago. Now her family is speaking out, raising the reward for her safe return. We will hear from her boyfriend in just a moment. Have the police shared with you any of their theories on what happened? No, they haven't. And we have an agreement with them from the outset that um, all that information uh, would be kept to the law enforcement um, for two reasons. One, they don't want to compromise the search, and two, they don't want to endanger Molly. We believe that Molly is still alive, and if someone has abducted her, we are pleading with you to please release her. Molly's family had a message for anyone who, who may have been her abductor. Do you? Just everybody has a Molly, a person that has um, changed your life in such a huge way, and that's in everybody's lives. Just Im- imagine if somebody had taken your Molly. Put yourself in our shoes. You would do anything to get her back, and you would just be desperate for anything to come forward to get her back. Tibbetts was last seen going for a jog in this sleepy Iowa town on July 18th. This morning, Molly Tibbetts' mother is speaking out exclusively to ABC News. It's been nine agonizing days since her daughter vanished. My son Scott, he gave me a call about 5.15 p.m. saying, Mom, did you know Molly didn't go to work? At which point I said, I will be right home. The University of Iowa freshman set off alarms with family and friends when she didn't show up for work in Brooklyn, Iowa, where she was living this summer with her boyfriend, Dalton Jack. Molly's mother gets a briefing from investigators every day. She says she hopes Molly will be back to take that planned vacation next week and they can put all of this behind them. 20-year-old Molly Tibbetts was last seen a week ago tomorrow in her hometown. This tiny farming community has been upended by Molly Tibbetts' disappearance. That boyfriend is significant because he is the last person to hear from Molly before she disappeared. New this morning, we are also learning of a possible Molly sighting late last week in Missouri, giving the family hope that she's still alive. The search intensifying for a missing college student from Iowa. Investigators are looking for clues into the disappearance of Molly Tibbetts, last seen more than a week ago when she went for a jog. Until we get further information about Molly, we we are expecting her to be alive. This is an obviously sad ending to this search for Molly Tibbetts. As you mentioned, investigators say they have charged an undocumented immigrant with first-degree murder, and they say he offered some pretty chilling details about what happened the night Molly disappeared. For more than a month, family and friends of Molly Tibbetts held out hope that somehow she would be found alive. This morning, they're grieving. A body believed to be Molly's found Tuesday in a cornfield. Utter disbelief. Just in shock. 
it's just been hard. A 24-year-old undocumented immigrant, Christian Bahena Rivera, charged with first-degree murder. How did he get on your radar? We came across an individual that had security cameras, and through that, we were able to identify a vehicle that we believe belonged to Mr. Rivera. Officials say Rivera, who came to the U.S. from Mexico, told them he pursued Molly during her run last month, at one point parking his vehicle and running behind and alongside her. He tells us that Molly grabbed a hold of her phone and said, you need to leave me alone, I'm going to call the police. And then she took off running. He, in turn, chased her down. And then he tells us that at some point in time, he blacks out. Officials say Rivera told them as he was driving later, he saw an earpiece from headphones in his lap, realized he had put Molly in the trunk, and noticed blood on the side of her head. He then dragged her into a cornfield. No motive was given for the killing. It seemed that he followed her and seemed to be drawn to her on that particular day. And for whatever reason, he chose to abduct her. On July 18, 2018, University of Iowa student and psychology major Molly Tibbetts went out for a jog in the small town of Brooklyn, Iowa, a town of about 1,500 people. Brooklyn, Iowa is the midpoint between Des Moines and Iowa City, situated closely to Interstate 80, a busy highway that runs east to west, all the way from California to New Jersey, crossing right through the middle of the state of Iowa along the way. Tibbetts, age 20, was dog-sitting for her boyfriend Dalton Jack and his brother while they were at a Dubuque construction site about 100 miles away from Brooklyn. Around 7.30 p.m. on the evening of July 18th, Molly, a former cross-country athlete, went out for her typical evening jog around town. Little did she know this would be the last time she would ever get to do so. Molly was supposed to attend a dinner at her mother's house that evening, but she never showed up. At 10 p.m., her boyfriend Dalton opened a Snapchat for Molly. He said it appeared as though she was inside at the time of the picture. However, the, pi- the time the picture was taken is unclear. The next day, July 19th, it was immediately clear for those who were close to Molly that something wasn't right. Both uh, Jake and Dalton sent Molly several text messages throughout the day. None of them were answered. Molly's mother, Laura Calderwood, also sends Molly several text messages throughout the day, which are also not answered. Dalton receives a phone call from a coworker at the daycare center where Molly worked, and she said she didn't report that day. The coworker reports that Molly did not appear for work and that she did not call off. Dalton begins to get worried and starts reaching out to Molly's family, who ultimately reports her missing. So what we have here is Molly goes missing, and then, I mean, within just a few short hours, her entire family is, you know, swarming like bees. They're just all of a sudden, something's just not right. And they immediately report uh, to authorities that Molly's gone. So I think that, um, you know, in my opinion, you know, if I'm the authorities, I'm not really looking at the family too hard right now. You know, it seems like they're on the up and up that, you know, if they're willing to report her missing so quickly that she's likely gone um, and disappeared either on her own, an accident, or, you know, a third party's involved. Right. And, you know, typically I don't think law enforcement would jump on a case so quickly to, to look for somebody, you know, within a 24, 48 hour period. I mean, I mean, sometimes they will, they'll, they'll obviously, you know, document the report and, and start from that point. But it it sounds like Molly had a pretty regular, you know, daily activities. Her family knew her really well. So anything out of the ordinary, you know, threw up those red flags right away. So, 
you know, kudos to the family to reaching out and getting things. Yeah, absolutely. And yeah, you will see like in certain cases, um, I've seen where, you know, the authorities get these reports and they kind of discourage the family from reporting a missing person so early on and they don't really take it seriously and they don't investigate it right away. But it seems like in this case, the authorities got right on it. They start investigating almost immediately. Her family starts, you know, sending the red flags all over, um, you know, which (laughs) if I went missing, I'd hope this would happen for me, you know? Right. Yeah, definitely. And, you know, it it could be, you know, the location too, you know, it's, it's been reported over and over again that this is a small town, Mm -hmm. you know, lots of people know, you know, they they see things going on on a daily basis. They know kind of the the habits and activities. If you see somebody out for their run every evening, you say you're coming home from work at the same time every night, you're going to kind of expect to see some things happening. So that could have got things kickstarted as well. So Yeah, definitely. I mean, the one thing that, um, you know, like you alluded to, uh, the small town aspect where they, you know, people keep reporting, this is a small town, this is a small town. It is a small town of about 1,500 people. However, not all 1,500 people know each other. And that's something right. that I can't stand when they report as they act like everyone knows everybody. You know, I lived in a small town for a long time. I didn't know probably 200 people that live there. So, I mean, yeah, like you said, um, you know, if Molly runs a very similar route, you know, at a uh, similar time each day, then yeah, you get used to seeing, you know, the girl go jogging by. Um, So that kind of stuff, yes, but they kind of report it as if you know everybody, which that's not always the case. So um, that's one thing that I don't like about the reporting on this case. Um, That's kind of here nor there at this point. Right. No, I to- I totally agree. I mean, I live on a street with probably 20 houses, but I might know my neighbors by name, maybe two or three of them. <laughs> so that aspect is a little bit frustrating. It's not it's not like back in the day where people would hang out and just do stuff on a daily daily basis outside and and interact with people around them. It's just <laughs> times are different. You're right. Um you know, I live on a, just a single street and, you know, I've got, I don't know, maybe 20 neighbors total. And I know one of them well. Two of them, I know their names. Uh, well, I'd say maybe three or four, I know their names. And the rest of them, I have no idea who they are. <laughs> and so, you know, and, and I'm on a single street that's like secluded from the rest of the you know, surrounding area. So, <laughs> I mean, that's the kind of world we live in these days, you know, and on top of that, you have people like me, I'm super introverted, so I don't really go out of my way to meet people. I don't care to meet people usually. Um, it's not that I'm not interested in people. I just, I'm a little socially awkward that way, I guess, where I just don't, I don't know. I'm not, um, I'm not one of those people who feeds off of other people for energy. And, you know, I've got a, a buddy who's like, always as soon as we go somewhere it takes you an extra 15 20 minutes anytime you go with him anywhere because he talks to every single person he encounters along the way and he's super friendly and people love him and that's cool but that's not me at all i'm the exact opposite like head down don't make eye contact don't talk to me i just want to get from a to b (laughs) so yeah so over the next several days a search is organized facebook group called finding molly tibbetts is created by july 21st 
Authorities had interviewed over 100 people and continued their search for Molly. Nearly every business in Brooklyn had a flyer with her photo and details on how to contact authorities with more information prominently displayed. At this point, authorities are combing through Tibbetts' digital footprint, getting warrants to search her computer, phone, social media, and Fitbit data. Authorities still could not rule out foul play at this point. Yeah, so you have uh, all these electronic records now, which really help um, authorities try to pinpoint where you might find a missing person. And so that's no different in this case. Molly was wearing a Fitbit while she was out for her jog, which is pointed out in several reports. So the nice thing about that is, you know, Fitbit is most likely willing to help the authorities here. But if they can get into her account, a lot of times it stores GPS data as to where your last location was as you were running. And it's not known. uh, They never report it. They never tell us specifically. But if they found information regarding this Fitbit and where she was... I suspect to some degree that they did because I think they narrow in, you know, later on here on a few points of interest. And I don't know if they're using just, you know, like security camera footage as she's, you know, jogging by to pinpoint or if they're using her Fitbit data. But I suspect that they use, you know, her cell phone pings, her Fitbit data, and they're trying to triangulate her, her last known whereabouts. Yeah. And, to be completely honest, I was a little bit surprised with, I, I know some of the, the more advanced Fitbits would have GPS location and stuff like that on them. But I, I know some of the ones I've seen, I just thought they were strictly health trackers. So I was a little bit surprised that, you know, even your Fitbit is tracking your location. And, and um, back to her cell phone, I think that that's one thing that investigators lost track of along the way. I don't know if the phone was destroyed or, you know, tossed out in a completely um, isolated area, maybe where the actual abduction happened. And then this guy drove, you know, much further away. So that made it harder to triangulate her location, you know, after the crime had happened. So, but I, I I know one report for sure that I read said that her, her cell phone was never located. Yeah. And, you know, you bring up a good point. People probably don't really realize, you know, about Fitbits and and these kinds of devices we use nowadays. So certain Fitbits, you're right, you know, they're pretty limited. It's just basically tracking your steps, how far you've gone that day, you know, and you can sync it to your computer. But there's also a lot of Fitbits that they have a GPS chip in them, and they'll track your routes. So then you can go back and look um, on their website or on their app and look at yourself and see how far did you run and what was your route like and those kinds of things. And, you know, same thing for, like, you know, Apple Watches and, you know, the Google devices that are the same thing. They, they've started putting mm-hmm. GPS chips in all of these devices. So technology, while it's great for some things, it's also good for finding missing persons and stuff like that because you can go back and look at this information. The trick here is can you log in and look at it? And if you can't, will the company behind it help you? And so, you know, we've seen some some news where certain companies get involved in, you know, back and forth with authorities because they request this information. They request the company unlock it and, and the company's not necessarily willing to, um, especially if they go about it in a way where that the company doesn't feel like it's, um, you know, I guess where they feel like the authorities are violating the right of the individual. And so, you know, this will be fascinating over the next few years as we get 
get into this stuff more, you know, what are the authorities allowed to get into and what are they not allowed to get into? Because, you know, everything's backed up to the cloud. And, you know, we saw this with the San Bernardino shooter. Um, the FBI wanted to get into his phone and Apple wouldn't, would not unlock it because they say they can't unlock it. They can unlock his iCloud account, you know, and look, you can look back at the data that gets uploaded to the cloud, but you know, they claim they don't have the keys to get into some of this stuff. And I mean, I believe that they don't. However, they have ways of, you know, like resetting a password or, you know, allowing more attempts on an account probably. And so you'll see over the next several, several years, you'll start seeing authorities trying to find creative ways to get into people's devices to help either get information in the case of like a mass shooting and look at the shooter and see what kind of information they had on their device or, you know, trying to locate missing persons and those kinds of things. So it'll be really fascinating to see where we end up going forward. No, and I totally agree. And I think one thing that these companies could do to try to, you know, alleviate the the fact that the authorities are trying to force them to release this data is maybe they need to take a look at their um, disclaimers that they're putting out to their customers and the privacy, you know, policies that they have in place for their customers. I, I Maybe if the customers were a little bit more informed ahead of time of exactly what kind of data the device is gathering on them. And let's say they, you know, you always get these 5,000 page long uh, disclaimers saying this, this, and this. But if you could get it a little bit more simplified to say, hey, you know, in case something bad happens to you, um, you agree as a customer to allow us to release this data to authorities. And it, it allows for something like in this case to happen, you know, in a little bit more effective manner. So, I mean, there, there's definitely room for improvement there, I think on it from both sides. Yeah. That's not a bad point. You know, like it would be really fascinating to see if we can come up with some legislation at some point, which says, you know, Hey, you know, cell phone makers, if you have a cell phone and you have GPS data and there's a missing persons report and we have a search warrant, then you can instantly give us this data and that the individuals, when they sign up for their devices and are setting up their new operating systems and all those things on the phone that they acknowledge and consent to this data being given or they don't. And if they don't tough, you got to go back to triangulation through cell phone towers and stuff like that. Um, this is going to be a really hot button issue going forward. And you and I both work in the tech industry. So I'm really drawn to this kind of stuff and these stories. So I've, I've followed quite a bit and some things that are going on. So Apple, for instance, um, they have in their newest operating system coming out, they've got uh, USB, uh, like a USB deactivation system. And what that means is authorities right now today will take an iPhone from a suspect or a missing person or whatever. And if they can't, or don't know your passcode to get in and they can't get into the phone, they can plug it into a machine and do what's called a brute force. And what that does is this machine just keeps running algorithms against your phone and guessing passcodes. And so it'll just keep running and running and running and it just keeps trying and trying and trying over and over again until it finally unlocks it. So if you've got a four digit code, you know, it could take them a couple months, but they might eventually get that number and then they get into your device. Well, Apple in the newest release, what they're trying to do is 
detect if you're running a brute force and then they disable the USB port on your phone or the lightning port in this case for an Apple device. And so then you cannot get into that phone and access that data anymore. And it just completely blocks that from happening because Apple's stance is that authorities, you know, could potentially be abusing their abilities to get into your device and inappropriately accessing people's devices using these machines. And it also helps, you know, if your phone gets stolen, somebody can't unlock it, reset all the passwords, and then sell it, wipe your device and sell it. So it it's very fascinating in that regard because, you know, we're, we're in a weird time and privacy is going to be a big thing coming forward. But it falls into, you know, cases like this where you have a disappearance of a person or you have someone who's murdered and you have the suspect and you want to get into everybody's phones. It, it's going to be really interesting to see how we lock up these digital footprints going forward. So at this point, it's July 23rd. We're five days in to Molly's disappearance. Tibbetts' mother, Laura, told reporters that she was looking forward to moving into her first apartment as well as going to her boyfriend's brother's wedding in the Dominican Republic. She had just recently obtained her passport in advance of the trip. Authorities expanded the search to cornfields surrounding the area and they begin using drones, planes, and helicopters to search for Molly. They're also utilizing kayaks to search bodies of water nearby. So obviously at this point, it looks like they don't really have any, you know, point of interest or major point of interest that they're sharing, and they're just kind of brute forcing it, right? Just looking everywhere. Yeah. And I can attest to growing up as a kid and and playing in cornfields, which some people might be a bad horror movie, <laughs> but it's, you can, I, I can't imagine having to, co- in the area that this is in, this is cornfield country, mm-hmm. right? You're right in smack in the middle of the Midwest and just cornfields as far as the eye can see. I can't imagine trying to search for anything in something like that when, when these fields are three to four feet over top of your head and, you know, you can only see as far as probably... Um, one to two feet in front of you, it's it would be pretty overwhelming to me, especially if I was part of a search party looking for someone that's missing. Yeah, and we're coming up on you know the fall harvest season here in the Midwest, and it's it's you know pumpkin patch time, and every year you hear the story of the family who gets lost out in the cornfield in the corn maze and they can't find their way out, and that's no joke. I mean, it seriously happens. You get into those corn mazes and you can't see anything for miles you know you just see corn and it all looks the same so um you might want to whip out that gps on your phone and start figuring out how to get yourself back to the beginning if you get lost set a marker before you enter (laughs) um but yeah so to your point i mean you know for those of you who are not in the midwest and don't experience this or anything you know it's flat corn is very tall and you can't see anything, and these fields are acres big, you know? So you get out there, and if you get a few feet in, you might get lost. And so it would be a really good place to hide somebody if you're trying to. Um, yeah. Yeah, for sure. And when when fields are that mature and they're that high, I mean, unless – a body is placed outside of that field, drones, planes, helicopters, everything that that's being used to search from the air is pretty much useless because you're not going to see anything in there. Even if it's a bright color, every the vegetation and the growth is so, you know, it's so thick 
you're not, it, it's going to be very, very difficult. So you have to rely on people on the ground moving from field to field and through the rows. I mean, that, and it's just a, a daunting task in my opinion. Yeah. And I didn't hear, and I'm kind of curious to know now, um, you sparked a thought if when they were searching for her using these helicopters, I had read somewhere that they were using helicopters that they were, they borrowed from like a local hospital or something like that. They lent them. I was, you know, what if they were using like those, uh, thermal imaging ones where you, you know, do you remember, um, the Boston marathon bombers? I don't know if you recall this, but do you remember watching live on TV? Uh, they were in the helicopter looking for the guy and they had the thermal image of him in the boat. Mm -hmm. Um, yeah. So I, you know, I wonder if, you know, I guess it depends how long because, I think it detects heat. So maybe it would have been pointless at, you know, this, at this stage. Um, maybe not. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. I think the, I mean, it could have been beneficial. I mean, especially if, you know, there's somebody, my assumption is that somebody does something like this and they're going to do one of two things. They're going to, they're going to run as far away from the crime scene as they can in hopes that they don't get caught or, if they're a sick, sadistic person, they may venture back there once in a while to say, hey, what I've done and the person that I've killed are still there. And they go back and verify that they're still there and haven't been found. So they kind of get a sense of, you know, relief that they haven't been caught yet because this person hasn't been found. I, I don't know. I, I don't know how some of these guys think, but, you know, it's just a thought. And, you know, if you're doing thermal imaging from, a plane or a helicopter and you see one person walking around in the middle of a cornfield out, (laughs) you know, on thousands and thousands of acres of corn, it might make you a little suspicious. Yeah. And you know, you do see to your point from time to time, there are killers. And and in this case, at this point, they don't know who it is. Right. And so there are killers who do go back and they visit the crime scene again after they've killed somebody and they go visit the body and those kinds of things. It's typically serial killers and they're typically doing things post-mortem, um, like either hiding the body more, doing something sexual to the body or dismembering them or whatever, or moving them, you know, they just, they always have to go back. So it, you know, it's not a bad idea to, to look for those, you know, heat signatures if you can. However, you know, in this case, they may, they maybe didn't find anything, didn't use it or whatever. Yeah, no, completely and totally agree. So, on July 24th, the FBI and state investigators step in to take over the case and help find Molly. All volunteer searches are called off. The following day, Dalton Jack and his brother are cleared as suspects in the case. On July 26th, a witness in Missouri reports a possible sighting of Molly at a local truck stop. Authorities also confirm they searched a nearby hog farm in the area, but did not find anything. The hog farm and the farm's owners will become a central point of this story. As August approaches, there's still no sign of Molly. On August 1st, Molly's father speaks publicly, saying, quote, The bottom line is somebody knows something. End quote. At this point, it's still not known to the family if Molly went missing while jogging or if somebody found her home alone. Dalton suggests she probably didn't lock the door, saying, quote, It's Brooklyn. Nothing ever happens here in Brooklyn. End quote. It's also revealed that former hog farmer Wayne Cheney was questioned for over two hours. On August 2nd, 
An Iowa task force searches a nearby farm for the second time after a red shirt is reportedly found, which is similar to the shirts worn by the daycare employees. Also, the sighting at the truck stop is confirmed not to be Molly. By August 4th, Cheney has been questioned briefly again, and he told Fox News that the FBI had searched his home, parts of his property, and looked at his cell phone. He said he would allow the FBI to search all of his property. However, he would not take a polygraph test. So one thing that's interesting here is that there's mention, you know, around August 1st that potentially Molly was taken from her house. And, you know, that's one thing that I found fascinating early on in this case is that they keep reporting things back and forth and some people aren't sure if she was at home or if she was on her jog. They haven't quite located where she was at the time that she disappeared. And we might mention this a little bit later, but her boyfriend receives a Snapchat from Molly and he opens it around 10 PM. And when he looks at the Snapchat, it appears that she's inside, but he doesn't know when she sent it. So that kind of clouds, when and where she was and i believe authorities start working with snapchat to see if they can help you know determine when she sent this snap so then they can try and figure it out but you know um at some point people start alluding to the fact that you know molly may have been abducted from the home seems like authorities are really relying heavily on the technology side of this and with snapchat i know that I, i'm not a user of snapchat but my wife and daughter are because they like to send funny stuff back and forth, but isn't the premise of Snapchat that once you send a, a quick snippet or video message that, that, that message is essentially deleted from your device after the person views it. Yeah, that's the premise. Um, so, you know, I take a picture, you know, a selfie, I can put funny things on it, captions, text, I can take a quick video, whatever. And then as soon as I send it to the recipient, they have, you can set how long they can look at the image for or the video. So if I send them, um, you know, a picture of me, I can say, give it a 10 second timer. They take it, they open it up, they can watch it for 10 seconds and then it disappears. I know now they've got, you know, some things where they can, you know, do like an extra, you know, view or something or whatever. Um, but yeah, generally mm -hmm. speaking, it disappears. It's gone. Nobody can see it again. But in this case, the authorities are going back to Snapchat. And I wonder if they're just wanting to see the message history from a time standpoint, whatever it was time stamped or Snapchat's actually has, you know, it sounds like Snapchat actually has an archive of the image where they're looking at the house and trying to determine if she was in a building or a, a certain location just by identifying what's around her, what the scene looks like, where she might be when that message yeah, was sent. And you know I don't know this for a fact, but I would make the assumption that Snapchat a has a record of your timestamps of your snaps so that they have like, you know, a database somewhere that keeps record of when you sent a snap and when it was opened and received. And they probably also have for some limited number of time, an archive of your snaps for this kind of thing, uh, where somebody needs to go back and look at these snaps for some reason, if they're incriminating somebody or something, I imagine they keep them around for a little bit longer. Your device might not be able to access it. It might even still be on your device. It's just hidden in a way where the application can't expose it again, which if I remember correctly, there was a point in time when Snapchat did get caught with this and people were able to take your phone and they could hook it up to the computer and they could pull all the Snapchat files off of it and go back and look at all of your images. So, you know, I think you have, 
a little bit of that going on here too. And, you know, uh, if I'm the authorities, I'd do the same thing because I'm trying to figure out when did she send this message? Because if it happened before she went for her jog, then we know she was likely abducted during the jog. If it happened like later in the evening, like 10, you know, 11 PM, then, you know, that might be, you know, giving you the clue that she was at home and she was abducted from the house. So at this point, Cheney is a person of interest, but not a suspect. Clearly the FBI and or local investigators are very interested in him for some reason, whether it's the Fitbit data that shows Molly near his home or his farm, or if it's his past, Cheney's ex-girlfriend reports him to be controlling. She even filed a restraining order against him because he was stalking her and her daughters. He pled guilty to the stalking violation and a no contact order in 2014, and he also had another stalking stalking charge in 2009. So I'd like to play a little clip of uh, Wayne Cheney being questioned by some reporters and just see, you know, what you think about this. For almost two weeks, tips and phone calls have not led investigators to finding Molly Tibbetts. We are pursuing every lead that is available to us. But they have been led to the doorstep of Deep River resident Wayne Cheney's home. What was the situation like uh, for you here and how they kind of approached everything? Oh, I don't know. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. We're wasting our time. Yeah. I'm done. You said the FBI uh, took you down to the fire station, right? I mean, yeah, I guess no, it wasn't the FBI. I don't know okay. who them two guys were, but they took me to the fire station Tuesday. Okay. And they asked just questioned questions. me a couple for a couple hours. They questioned me just about like what you maybe you're acting like what you saw out here, or actually like where you been, or I mean, weird. Yeah. What was that? What kind of questions? I don't even remember what they asked me. Just 15 minutes from where Tibbetts was last seen on July 19th, Cheney also lives within walking distance of the hog farms investigators reportedly searched recently while investigating the 20-year-old University of Iowa student's disappearance. It was just a waste of time, I thought, but oh well. It may have been his location combined with Iowa court documents that show Cheney has entered guilty pleas on two separate occasions for stalking once in Powasheet County in 2009, and again in Marion County just four years ago. Does it unfortunately make, I mean, uh, make you feel like they're second-guessing you as a, a, a resident here? Yeah, yeah. DCI officials could not confirm or deny the questioning of Cheney or whether or not he has been cleared as a suspect. I don't know. I'm done. So that's I'm done. Cheney getting interrogated by you know, the local reporters there. Um, he's, he's an interesting fellow. You know, they interview him a few times. He was associated with this hog farm. I read reports that he once owned it and then sold it. I'm not sure if that's accurate, but, um, he's kind of an interesting fellow. He, you know, he looks like he's straight out of, he's like a 1980s pedophile looking guy. I mean, and I'm not trying <laughs> to be crude here, but he just looks like that guy. Like if you saw like a, you know, uh, wanted poster or like the composite sketch like you just would picture this guy he's got those big glasses oh you know he's like just a, you know an average white dude and has a pot belly and then you know this <laughs> comb over hair and <laughs> you know he just looks he just looks the part and you know the poor guy gets interviewed a whole bunch of times and it turns out it's not him in the end but um you know he's 
he's a central part of this investigation. And the one thing I was thinking about, you know, I kept wondering, why do they keep going back to this hog farm? And then I started thinking, and I don't know if police were thinking this or if it was, you know, some kind of GPS data that gave them the lead, but um, I've heard before, and I don't know how true this is, but, you know, maybe it's a decent point of discussion here. Have you ever heard of people saying that, like, if you gave a dead body to pigs, they would eat the entire thing and you would never know? Yeah, I've heard of that, and I... I, I think there's some truth to that. I mean, I, I, I didn't, I grew up on a farm. We didn't have any hogs or, or pigs or anything like that, but you know, I, they essentially eat anything in their path. It doesn't matter what it is. So I have heard that and I don't know anybody personally that could confirm that. Thank God. <laughs> it's, it's yeah. I think there's some truth to it. So you mean you haven't thrown any dead bodies to the hogs? <laughs> no, no, I haven't. <laughs> yeah, well, that's what I started wondering as I'm listening to that playback. You know, was that why they were there so much? Is they're kind of trying to find a trace of maybe if someone tried to dump the body with the hogs and maybe they were waiting for them to use the bathroom or something and get some some kind of evidence from it or something like that? Like, or, you know... Who knows? I I just kept wondering, why do they keep going back to this hog farm and this hog farmer? You know, what was the catalyst that drove them there? And right now they haven't really publicly said why, at least not that I came across. So Mm -hmm. it makes for interesting discussion, I guess. I think probably what happened was her running path may have been in the vicinity of the hog farm. And just with this guy's checkered past with stalking or whatever, you know, like you said, you see, you see the guy in the interview, and he, he's a. I don't want to profile him, but he's he is a shady looking character. And, <laughs> he is shady looking, <laughs> no doubt. And, and you see somebody like, you know, Molly or any other young person running by. You know, your first your first inclination is, you know, if he's had problems stalking people in the past, you know, it, it's definitely not too far of a stretch to say, you know, what if with this guy because he has the checkered past and you know with the interviews he did with the news reporters he definitely didn't want to be talking to him you know he he kind of sounded suspicious just by like you know i'm done talking to you i don't want to talk anymore yeah and he's refusing the polygraph test too which makes you wonder you know hey what's going on however you know i said this last episode i wouldn't take a polygraph test it doesn't do anything for you it might help authorities they may or may not clear you of suspicion, but it doesn't help you. It's not admissible in court. So it, there's literally no benefit to you doing it. So why bother? I I wouldn't do it either. Even if I'm innocent. Yeah. There's certain element there that incriminates you. If you, if, if your polygraph test comes back and looks bad, you know, like we said last week, you're the, you kind of incriminate yourself if it comes back with some false positives or doesn't look good on paper. So why do it? That's right. August 5th, a body of a young woman was discovered alongside a rural Iowa road. The woman was later identified as 20 year old Sadie Alvarado, not Molly Tibbetts. That same day, a woman that lived near Dalton's house reported a black SUV that was circling the neighborhood. The same night Molly vanished. The woman said she reported this to the FBI. 
On August 6th, Rob Tibbetts, Molly's father, states that he thinks Molly is alive and with someone she knows. He goes on to say, quote, My two cents is that no one went into that house to hurt her, that there was some kind of misunderstanding about the nature of their relationship, and at this point, they don't know how to get out from under this, end quote. So it appears that her dad thinks that she was at home, which uh, we kind of talked about a minute ago. I don't know what made them think this. I, I don't know if it's the Snapchat to Dalton that you know gives them this false sense that she was at the residence but they also talk about Mm -hmm. how like you know Brooklyn's such a small town nothing would happen you know you wouldn't lock your doors so anything's possible at this point yeah I don't know what what maybe it was false hope on her father's part that she was with somebody she knew you know I can't imagine as a father of you know we both have young children what would go through your mind and in, 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 uh, if something similar to this happened to one of us, you know, you, your mind's going to run the gamut of what if could this be, you know, the questions to yourself would be endless. Oh, absolutely. I, I'm kind of, I don't know. I, I, I think that I would be pessimistic in this case, if this happened to me because I've heard of so many of these cases, because I've read through so many of them, I think the hope that the person is still alive for me, I can't imagine that I would think that, you know, my kid is still alive at this point. You know, it's been several days. I I think I'm going to the worst thoughts, honestly. And, and and it's, it's tough, you know, like you, you put yourself in, in the Tibbetts family shoes here and, you know, you, you have this, this girl who's got all these things looking up for her. She's in college. She's getting ready to buy an apartment. Um, you know, she's getting ready to go to the Dominican Republic for a wedding. She's got a boyfriend of over two years that she's really steady with. You know, she has a lot of things, a lot of upside, a lot to live for. So I guess you're optimistic that she's still alive to live for those things. However, these cases rarely end in someone still being alive at the end of the day. And, knowing that I don't think I, I don't think I would go to that point. I think I'd put myself in the deepest, darkest place because I would just assume that's what happened. Be, uh, try and come to grips with it as soon as I can. I don't know that I ever would come to grips with it. No, I, I totally hear what you're saying. And yeah, I, I, I would probably do the same thing. You, you, the positive outcome to some of these things, you know, is, is, is much less, likely to happen than you know the negative outcome um you know we we've had a few cases around our area you know mostly in the cleveland area where kids have been abducted and amazingly you know like with the the three abductions in cleveland you know 10 years after the fact these girls are still alive and that's to me that's almost like borderline a miracle it is a miracle doesn't happen on a regular basis (laughs) yeah that's a total miracle you're right between August 7th and 11th, not much happens. A Brooklyn resident, Devin Riley, comes forward saying he may have been the last person to see her as she jogged past his house. On the 12th, a former FBI profiler, Mary Ellen O'Toole, suggests that Tibbetts likely left with someone she knew. She was quoted as saying, I think the most likely scenario is that Molly was at least somewhat familiar with the person that she went with or the person that she went with was someone that she viewed as non-threatening to her. August 13th, authorities set up findingmolly.iowa.gov to establish a way 
for visitors to leave anonymous tips about any information that they may have regarding Molly. The website has a few details about Molly's disappearance and a map of relevant known locations. In just two days, the state had to add a second server to withstand the traffic and influx of tips. On August 16th, investigators respond to a report from August 15th from Radar Online, which stated that police were closing in on a potential suspect or suspects, and that the authorities believe the person has attended a vigil for her. The authorities denied the report and say they could not verify its authenticity. So again, we have another conflicting report. And I've seen in a few a few times during my research was they reported the clothing that she was wearing incorrectly. Uh, they report that she was at home when she's abducted. Um, you know, and then they have this report about, you know, suspects. And there are a few other things, you know, that I don't have listed here. But I just, you know... It, it's tough in these things. They're fluid situations, and then you get people who who come in and make up information, and then you also get people who maybe are giving real information, but you can't verify it. So maybe Radar did have a source that was working with the FBI at this point, and you know maybe they did know something a little early. Yeah, and and like you alluded to with what she was wearing, some of the the various reports of and even the clothing that was found close I think to the hog farm they said that there was a red shirt similar to what the daycare workers where Molly worked was found mm-hmm. you know that that definitely was a probably a very solid tip you know from someone who had found that shirt but you know by all reports if you go back and look through it, it that's not what she was wearing when she went out for her jog so it's kind of a you kind of get this you know, it, it's not necessarily hearsay, but it's just back and forth on what's actually being reported and, you know, what's good tips and what's not. Yeah, exactly. So it, it, that's that's one of those things, you know, when you have a case like this and it's really fresh, you do get a lot of misinformation up front because anymore, journalism isn't worried about getting things right. They're worried about getting things first. And so, you know, you'll mm-hmm. see news organizations going, you know, to print or to digital with a lot of information that may or may not be true at the time that they report it. And so, you know, when you watch like, you know, these mass shootings and stuff like that, or school shootings, whenever those things happen, think how many times you get details and they're just completely wrong. They're not even close. Three days later, you've got details, but the day of you've got these details that are just not even close to correct. And then it starts that spread of misinformation right off the rip. Yeah. And I, I don't, necessarily view it as being negative i think that with it being a smaller area you know and having those isolated tips everybody's trying to be helpful obviously they want to throw out what they know what they've seen just in case that it can help the case in any way i don't think anybody's trying to be you know detrimental to the search but you know even if it's not your child emotions are high so you know you 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 have that desire to help and you know in some cases it it could be a detriment yeah, you're absolutely right. It's just, you know, a lot of the places that I'm seeing this information, it comes, you know, from reputable news outlets, but it's not until, you know, it, it's just, for me, if I go to, you know, CNN or something and they've got bad facts, that frustrates me. They should have the facts correct as they know them at the time. It, you know, if, if the police are reporting something and it turns out that, you know, that's incorrect later, that's one thing, but if you're just like going on this mm-hmm. hearsay, you know, it's a little frustrating to me. Yeah, you, that that's a whole other discussion about what we hear from the media being correct and accurate. Uh, 
Um, but th- that, if that falls back on authorities, if the authorities are, are reporting something, they're either, you know, they're either trying to pry the public for tips. Like they release a little bit of information here and there. They want the media to run with it. But if it's inaccurate, that's at that point, it's not really on the media. They're just, they're just feeding to the public what the authorities gave to them. So the onus on that is on the authorities. Yeah. And and you heard in the, in the trailer for this episode, um, during that press conference, uh, I believe it was Rob Tibbetts said the authorities aren't telling us much and that's fine. We don't want to hinder their investigation, which you have to do. You have to keep some information close to the vest. That way you can validate when you find uh, people who maybe admit to something or start confessing, you know, you help weed out false confessions because you didn't give them enough information that they could have went to the papers and read about it and then start confessing all these details. You hold things close to the vest uh, as much as you can. That way you can help, authenticate some of the stuff people are saying. Yeah. You de- they definitely don't want to release more than they have to, because they don't want to probably, they don't want to tip off the person, especially if they have a very, very viable suspect, they don't want to run that person off. Then give them any hints in the media that, Hey, we're on to you. We're, we know who you are. We're coming for you. And you know, that, that might instigate them to, to run or make them even harder to find, you know, in this case, this person, had they known they were closing in on them as far as being part of the investigation, they, they could have fled the country, never been found again, honestly. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's right. On Saturday, August 18th, law enforcement told Rob Tibbetts, Molly's father, he should return home. Rob's statement regarding his departure is as follows. Very reckless. Very reluctantly, I'm being told I sort of need to do this. We've called this sort of a halftime, a break. The Tibbetts family was encouraged to take a break and return to their day-to-day lives. Yeah, so, you know, we're a month in at this point. Molly's gone July 18th. It's now August 18th here. And then you're being told by the authorities, hey guys, it's time to kind of try and get back to your normal day-to-day life. I don't know that I could. No. That would be really tough. That would be really tough. You know, your kid's missing. It's a month. You're in a small town. Next to no tips are coming in, at least publicly at this point, where we're, like, getting excited. You know, there was the one sighting, potential sighting at a truck stop. Outside of that, you know, I don't remember or I haven't read any other information that, you know, shows that something you know, uh, potentially a good lead or anything like that is out there. So I would have a hell of a time stopping. I I feel like I'd be walking all over the state of Iowa trying to find my daughter at that point. Yeah. And and I'm exactly, that's what I was going to say. There's without solid leads and without, you know, having a feeling that basically we needed to give up in that area. This could be something that she ran off. It could be farther away from that area without, without solid leads. I don't think there's any way I would have left that area until I had some solid answers. Cause you know, the probability is something happened there. She is there somewhere close by, you know, I wouldn't have gave up. I would have, you know, much to their chagrin, I would have disregarded what they said. I would have been there till the bitter end. 
Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's it's tough, man. Uh, I, I mean, I'm I'm I don't envy them, and I'm, you know, I feel for them. You know that this would be super tough. You have to try to you just start back over again. However, everywhere you go, there's a poster of Molly's face. You know on every building inside the town, you know, and everywhere you go and it's all over the news and it would be really hard. So here we are. It's August 21st, just three days after the family was told to stop searching and Molly's father returns home to California. The body of Molly Tibbetts was found in Pauschwick County. And I'm going to play the audio of the press conference where they talk about her discovery. A first degree murder charge was filed today in connection with the disappearance of Molly Tibbetts, who was last seen jogging in Brooklyn, Iowa on July 18, 2018. A complaint and affidavit names Christian Bahina Rivera, age 24, who resides in rural Powashee County and he has been charged with murder in the first degree. Dozens of law enforcement officials from local, state, and federal agencies were involved in the investigation after the disappearance of Molly Tibbetts. A body was discovered early this morning in a farm field southeast of Brooklyn, Iowa. The identity has not been confirmed, however, we believe it to be the body of Molly Tibbetts. A complaint and affidavit, which will be provided to you, will provide the details and of allegations against Mr. Rivera. Charges were filed in the Powersheet County District Court. The case will be prosecuted by the Iowa Attorney General, General's Area Prosecution Division, and first-degree murder carries a penalty of life without the possibility of parole. During the investigation, we reached out to the public, as you well know, and during our neighborhood canvas, we came across an individual that had security cameras. We took those cameras. He was kind enough to give us the footage from it. And through that, we were able to identify a vehicle that uh, we believe belonged to Mr. Rivera. We conducted a lengthy interview with Mr. Rivera. And during that interview, he tells us that he sees Molly running and was able to uh, come upon her, approach her. And while he was interfacing with her, he actually tells us that he ran alongside of her or behind her. And then at one point, he tells us that Molly grabbed a hold of her phone and said, you need to leave me alone. I'm going to call the police. And then she took off running. He, in turn, chased her down. And then he tells us that at some point in time, he blacks out. And then he comes to near an intersection, which we believe he then placed Molly. Yeah, so you've got this Christian Rivera, an undocumented immigrant, who was a, a farmhand and he worked for the, you know, this, this local farm for several years. And, you know, it turns out that he spots Molly and he starts following her around and the authorities are able to use cameras to kind of trace the cars that keep trailing Molly along her route until they find this one. And then they interview him. And then he admits to it, and he takes them to her body out in a cornfield, which, you know, that's, you know, pretty crazy. I, You know, you go back and you start looking, and you see the family thinks that she was abducted from her house, 
and that she's with someone that she knows and that she's still alive and they're over three. Yeah. And, and you go back to our trailer where, you know, we, we obviously knew she was found deceased uh, in the cornfield and that um, Christian Rivera was the suspect at that point. But it, during that trailer, you know, law enforcement officials say that this undocumented immigrant had said, you know, he, he was drawn to her. He followed her on her run and tried to run with her. And then he blacks out. And then he, when he comes to his senses, he realizes he has that earbud in his car with blood on it and, and realizes that she's in the trunk. Um, I, I'm not buying a lot of that, especially since once they were on to him and, and questioned him, he, he basically outright admitted it to them and took them right to where she was at. You know, if, if there was a blackout phase there and what, what I, what, for whatever reason, if it was a psychological issue, whatever, I can't believe that he had, you know, the memory to take them right back to where he had dumped her. You know, if it was a blackout type scenario, there's a little lot of fishiness there to that story. Yeah. And that's the, uh, that's the OJ story, right? <laughs> that's the I blacked out and can't re- can't remember what I did. Um, you know, I don't buy it either. And for him to take authority straight to her, no problem. You know, that's really interesting. And I don't know. You know, there's not a lot of detail about what happened to Molly. You know, and there's. You know, the autopsy comes out a few days later. Basically, it links, you know, it, it verifies the body that it's Molly and that, um, you know, she was subject to multiple, I think it was sharp force injuries or something, which I interpret that as she was stabbed. And that's about all you get. So, you know, I I found that to be very... I, I don't know. I feel like there's just a lot to be desired in this story still that I just don't know. Yeah. It, it had such an abrupt ending with him admitting to it, confessing and, and taking it under the body. And unfortunately that's, that's the nature of things today. You know, it was a hot button topic when nobody knew where she was. Nobody had heard from her. You know, there's a massive search going on that not to knock the media again, but that, that makes for great news. But when this guy comes forward, he admits to it, confesses, you know, they, they kind of sort of wash their hands of it. We may hear something about it again here in a few months when they, this guy's in court and he's being arraigned and brought up on charges and, and whatnot. But essentially, and it's sad to say, we'll, we'll, we won't hear anything about this by the end of the year. We probably will have forgotten about this case and that's the nature of things the way they are, you know, the next, you know, the next hot button topic comes along for the media and they're all over it and just stuff kind of just gets washed away. That's right. And, you know, I I don't think you and I will forget about this because this is something we're interested in and we'll cover it, um, you know, and, and I'm sure we'll make an update to this whenever we get information, you know, regarding the outcome here. But, um you know, it's just one of those things. And, you know, I, I want to say to to Molly's family that, you know, I'm sorry for your loss. This is a tragic death and it's horrible. And you had a person in your family who had so much upside still in their life. She was only 20 years old and she had a lot of things to look forward to. 
and you know i'm sorry for them and i feel for them that's it's a horrible thing and you know i hope that this christian rivera gets everything thrown at him and that he you know he's a he's a piece of trash and to do this to somebody you are clearly just you know you're garbage and you need to you know rot in jail and it doesn't sound like based on the clips that we heard that he'll face the death penalty in this case but you know i mean this guy is just he's a piece of shit and i i hope he gets everything that's yeah, coming to him i think as as quickly as things devolved at the end of this case i think he's definitely going to get everything that's coming to him yeah and i i agree i hope i hope we can keep everybody apprised of what's going on with the case you know even once Rivera's in court he gets sentenced and I, I don't want to say I don't want to ever want to say it's good news that somebody's being put to death but I think in this case it's justifiable you know he he did he yeah if you can prove it without a reasonable doubt you know and he admitted to it then I, I don't have a problem with it it's when you have those suspect circumstantial cases where you know you rush to kill somebody and you can't really prove it with you know 100% fact that's when I have a problem with it in this case, you got this guy, you found him on video, he admits to it, you know, it's just, you, you're a trash human being, if that's what you're going to do, if you're going to go follow some woman who's jogging down the street, and, you know, she tells you go away, and then you murder her, like, I mean, there's definitely more to that story, there's definitely way more to that story, uh, I, you know, who knows, did he assault her, did he do anything else to her, we don't know right now, at least not that I've been able to find, and so, you know, I'm sure those details will come out when he goes to court. Police are looking right now to see if there's any more cases like this from Rivera, which I wouldn't be surprised. The kind of murder that he committed seems like something you would do multiple times. You know, he's 24 years old. I wouldn't be surprised if he'd done it before. You know, he's here illegally. I don't know. Uh, seems like a, a yeah, bad dude. It seems calculated to a certain extent. That's it this week for the case of Molly Tibbetts. As we hear any updates, we'll be sure to pass them along. This case is still developing, and we're learning more information every day. At the time of this recording, we may not have had the latest updates. There were some developments regarding Christian Rivera and his status as a illegal immigrant in the United States. We'll pass those kinds of things along in future updates. That being said, please be sure to check us out on social media. Follow us on Twitter at killer underscore podcast you can find us on instagram just at killer podcast one word you could also email us killerpodcast at gmail.com suggest any cases give us feedback we'd love to hear from you guys or visit our website www.killerpod.net until next time we'll put the case back in the case file and we'll see you guys around here catch you later